We've got a very special season coming up, April 1st. Several weeks from now is Easter. And so while we recognize, you know, every day of our lives, the value, the importance of the resurrection, there is this day in the year that's special. We specially focus on it. And so what I want to do in the next several weeks is take a pause on our We Believe series. Uh, there's only three topics left on that particular series. Number one, the last times, what's going to happen at the end. Number two, uh, the uh, kingdom of God. What do we believe about that? And then number three, what does it mean to be, what do we believe about mission and what do we believe about evangelism? And so those are the last three, but we're going to take a break from that now and, and start talking about the lead up to Easter and G, what we call Jesus's passion. Have you all ever heard of the passion of Jesus before? Have you seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ? Uh, it's pretty brutal. Uh, uh, it, it graphically predi- uh, shows what Jesus went through on that. And uh, the passion literally means the suffering. That word literally means suffering. Uh, the, we use the word passion to mean, you know, excitement, you know, bought in, uh, emotion. But the word literally means suffering in the context that we're using it in here in the Bible. The passion of Christ means the suffering of Christ. And so we're going to talk about these next couple of weeks, some things that Jesus went through. We're going to learn more about our Lord going into the resurrection uh, so that we can know him better as we celebrate his resurrection. It's not easy um, to preach on the Lord's passion because it's very humbling and it's hard to hear. And it's like it's hard to watch that flick, The Passion of the Christ, because you see all the, the difficult things he went through. It's also kind of challenging to even talk about it. But I think it's important not just to talk about the resurrection. That's what we build our hope on. But it's important that we recognize what our Lord went through on the way to the cross and at the cross. You know, he didn't just suffer at the cross. He, you know, the, the Bible calls Jesus the man of sorrows. Did you know that? A lot of times we think of Jesus as being perfect emotionally. When we think of perfection, we think oh, he was always happy or something like that. But he was called a man of sorrows. Why was he called a man of sorrows? Because Jesus, having left the state of perfection up in heaven, comes down to earth to carry the load of the sins of mankind on his shoulders. It wasn't an easy task. Jesus is going through a lot of things on the way to that cross. On the way to the cross, when we think about Jesus in the wilderness, you know, he was tempted there and he went through a lot of temptation there. And it didn't say the devil stopped tempting him then. It says he left him at that time, the devil did, after that temptation in the wilderness until an opportune time. In other words, Jesus continued to struggle with the challenge, the temptation. We're going to talk about a little bit about this and learn how we as Christians now can live our lives. So that's what we're talking about these next several weeks, the passion of Jesus. And I promise you, not, we're not going to be depressing and, and downer. We're just examining what happened and saying, okay, how can we live now uh, since, that, since all that happened? Why, why talk about the passion at all? Why talk about the story of Jesus? We all know what happened, right? He went to the cross. He died for our sins. 
Uh, he was in the garden. He suffered. He didn't want to go to the cross, but he did it because God wanted him to and because he wanted to save us, because he loved us. So why talk about a story that we already know? A lot of times through experience, through diving in and looking, th- looking at stuff with a fresh set of eyes, you can gain stuff you never really appreciated. And while you may know the story of Jesus on the way to the cross, I want us to know the story. I want us to really lay eyes on what happened and what it means for us in our own life. So as we embark on this journey the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what Jesus went through. We're going to start off in the garden. Sounds like a peaceful place to be, doesn't it? A garden. But for Jesus, it was a place of agony. Have any of y'all ever been to Jerusalem? Anybody visited the Holy Land? I know Jackie has. She's not here today. My dream someday is to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and get on my knees and pray there because it's still there. The garden is still there. And I would love to go and visit that place. But that's the, that's the place Jesus was in this moment. Look at this text with me. When they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Listen to his words here. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus was going through deep emotional turmoil well before he's on the cross because he knows what's about to happen. Have you ever been there? Have you ever faced that sense of dread at something that's fixing to happen? that sense of dread at what you may be fixing to have to go through? Have you ever been overwhelmed with sorrow? Have you ever been deeply distressed and troubled as Jesus is here? While Jesus is experiencing an emotion we can identify with, I think he's, t- he's experiencing it on a much deeper level. But he is, I think, reacting and responding in a way that reflects this value that he teaches in another passage. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus lives this out. Okay, follow me here for a second. Who is Jesus most concerned with pleasing? The Roman authorities? His friends? Because at one point, even Peter said, Hey, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to get killed in Jerusalem. What did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. He's not concerned with pleasing Peter. Who is he concerned first and foremost with pleasing? God the Father, correct? Y'all with me? That's what he's here for. That's what he's about. Uh, he's, and this is what he lives out. He's saying, look, here's the one that you need to worry about. Not all those around you. Not even the one that can hammer your, nail, your, your uh, wrists 
onto a cross. You don't have to worry about that person. The one you need to worry about is the one who has the power to cast both your body and soul into hell. And that's who Jesus is focused on. His suffering, in other words, was marked by surrender to this God. Above all, he cared about this God. Read this passage with me in its context, and then I think we'll, be, we'll move on and I'll start preaching, okay? Then Jesus went with them to Gethsemane. He said, sit here while I pray. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. Are you going to the garden with me? Are you picturing this? He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, you couldn't watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into, into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he goes away and he prays. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. What words? God, please let this cup pass from me. If, if I have to drink it, I'll drink it, but I don't want to drink it, Lord. If there's any other way to do this, let's do it that other way. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is here, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Boy, so much stuff here to talk about. So many things here to reflect on, and so many ways that Jesus interacts with God here, the God the Father, that are so just incredible, admirable, he, he, we can identify with him. He doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to go to that cross, right? And he, he asks God, you see the humanity of Jesus. He asks God, let this cup pass. But he, in the asking, he never, he never ceases to say, but if that's not the way you want it, then I want to do it your way. How often are we kind of the opposite in the sense that in searching for the solution to our agony and suffering, we say, my way or the highway, the only solution here is that you fix this problem that's causing me suffering. Is that the way we respond to suffering sometimes? Jesus is saying, look, I'm suffering, I don't want this, but God, your will be done. And Jesus, therefore, surrenders. He gives in to God's will. Okay, that's what we mean by surrender here. His suffering is marked by surrender. That's what we see in that whole narrative, that sense of, I surrender. Not, not like this weakness of throwing up a, a, a white flag and saying, I lost or whatever. A different kind of surrender. A surrender that says, 
I'm going to yield to you everything because it's your will that needs to happen. That's what Jesus says to God the Father. He surrenders. His surrender wasn't just a momentary decision. It was planned. He'd always planned to do this, okay? He says this multiple times to his disciples. Look, we got to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die there. And he keeps heading there. Like, if I know that I'm going to die at a certain place, I'm going the opposite direction. Jesus keeps marching toward Jerusalem because his surrender was planned. It was, it was planned and decisive. He had made the life decision to be a man of surrender to God the Father. It's not a momentary thing. It's a lifestyle for him. Uh, You know, he didn't just sit in the garden and say, okay, what should I do it? Should I not? Okay, I'll do it. His whole life was in surrender to God the Father. All right? Are y'all following me today? This is a quote that helps, I think, grasp it. It says, one does not surrender a life in an instant. That which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. How do you know Jesus was a lifelong uh, surrenderer to God the Father? Look at his life. Every single choice he made, was it his will or God's will? That's why he often retreated. That's why he often went off into the mountains and off into the uh, solitary places during his ministry to pray. Because of the pressures of ministry, because of everything going on around him, he had to make sure he was tuned in to God's will so that he could do it. He cared about God's will above all else. This wasn't kind of surrender of, you know, okay, fine, I'll just do it. I'll give in. You know, fine, you win. Kind of like we do when we fight with our spouses sometimes, you know. You're right, I'm wrong, I win. Let's, let's just move on. That's not this kind of surrender. That never happens with me and Ashley. I'm just giving an example. We're, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about a momentary kind of giving up. We're talking about a lifelong type of surrender. He had always planned to live this way. And not only was it planned out, it was complete. He didn't save any part of himself to do it his way. I can't really use Jesus as an example because he's perfect, but I'll use myself as an example. Okay, I'm going to do this part of my life Justin's way, and then over here... I'll do stuff God's way. Uh, Sunday morning, it's God's way time, right? Unless there's a time change and we have trouble waking up and whatnot. But the rest of the week, you know, maybe it's, it's my way or whatever. You, you get the point. Jesus didn't reserve a part of himself to follow his own impulses. He didn't save part of himself to do it his way. He was all or nothing but he chose all for God the Father. Discipleship is that kind of choice. Are you going to give yourself over completely? That's why Jesus talks about discipleship in the terms of dying to yourself. The, the old self is completely gone. It's no longer vying for your decision-making. It's, you have decided you are all God's. That's what complete surrender is all about. That's what Jesus is showing us here. His surrender was complete to the will of God. I often have talked to you guys about my granddad, the deacon at the little Baptist church I grew up at. That's him. He was character, if you can't tell from the picture. He was a character. He gave me an example of this that I've never forgotten. 
Because a lot of times we think, how do you put this stuff into practice? What does it really mean? And, and he really gave me a great example of this. He, he was not, he probably a couple of years before he passed, and him and I were riding around in a truck and uh, stopping at taking care of some business that he had. And he, he says to me, you know, and I don't know why, he just started talking. Like, he's not the type that starts talking about deep stuff. You know, that's not what... That's not what a good country guy does. You don't just start talking about your emotions with each other, okay? We're not really into that. But we're sitting there in the truck. He looks over to me. He goes, you know, uh, your mother, I had two. I have an aunt and my mom. It's his two daughters. He goes, you know, everything I have and everything I am, it's for them. You know, I do, I do everything for your mom and for your aunt. That's what this is all about. That's what I'm all about at this point. I thought, it struck me. I thought, wow, that's, that's some way to live, you know? Giving yourself up completely for the sake of someone or something else. Are you able to say that you can do that for one another and most importantly for God? And when we think about surrender in our own lives, do we offer up complete surrender to God or do we do this kind of a partial surrender? Do we... Because here's Jesus. Jesus is saying, this is what my life is about. I am here to do the will of God. That's why I'm here. But a lot of times, perhaps, we might say to God, we may not say it exactly like this, but we might have the attitude of saying, okay, God, I'll give in since my plans didn't work out. Have y'all ever been there? That's kind of what my story looks like. I surrendered to God as my Lord and Savior, but after trying to do it my own way and coming up way short, coming up short and it, seeing a disaster, then I turned to God and said, okay, I surrender. But you've got the ability to surrender your life to God now before you even get to that point. So Jesus offers us this example of complete surrender, unconditional uh, surrender, which is planned ahead of time, saying to yourself, I, wanna, I want to give my life to, to God, the Father. I want to do everything that He wants. And I, I guess I want to offer up this question to you. How does He manage this? How does He do this? I mean, I think about my own my own struggle and, and pursuit of being a disciple of Jesus, and it, it's so easy to get tangled up. I mean, not just in sin, but like in busyness and getting distracted and everything else. How did Jesus manage being so completely focused on giving into the will of God and doing what it is that God want, want, wanted for him? What do you think that he was able to do now, there's a couple things I would say. Number one, he lived on purpose. He had a reason for being here. You know, there's so many books about purpose. You know, one of the most popular Christian books that you can get in the bookstore, even still today, even though it was written almost 20 years ago probably, is The Purpose Driven Life. Have you all ever read that book? Why was that so popular? Because we live in a world of people who are just searching and searching and striving to find purpose. Why am I here? What's the reason for being here? 
Because everything that they pursue in order to find contentment, you know, it's kind of like the stuff that Solomon talks about. It's good for a minute, but then still it leaves you struggling and wanting more. Discontent. People are searching for purpose. Jesus had a purpose, and he knew his purpose. We have a purpose too, incidentally. Do we know our purpose? Are you living on purpose? Whenever you lose sight of purpose, then you start to just fill that void with all kinds of stuff that doesn't really accomplish a thing and leaves you empty-handed, leaves you wanting more. Not so with Jesus. How is he able to live in complete, unconditional surrender to God the Father? Because he was living on purpose. He knew why he was here. He knew what he was about. John chapter 6 says this. I have, this is in verse 38. I have come down from heaven, and it, just listen to this. This is Jesus. Said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he's given me, but raise them up at the last day. There's a sneak preview, by the way, of my sermon on last, last times. That was... Uh, part of that series, we believe after Easter, my sermon is the first sermon after Easter will be the what we believe about last times and end days. There's a sneak preview of it right there. This is the will of Him who sent me that I shall lose none, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And in chapter 8, Jesus says, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus knows what his purpose is, and he's living according to that purpose. What is your purpose? Why are you here? And how do you deal with your garden moments? Jesus was a man of surrender. He surrendered to the will of God. He lived it out. But I want to, in the coming weeks, we're going to see that this garden time, this garden of Gethsemane moment for Jesus was agonizing for him. And yet he stuck with it. He stuck with his purpose. And he said, not my will be done, but yours. How do you handle your garden moments? Have you had garden moments before? I'm not talking about garden moments where you're you know, smelling the flowers and it's beautiful. I'm talking about the, the kind of garden moment we're talking about here where you are just agonizing in prayer, wondering, what on earth are you doing, God? What is up with this? And please don't make me go through this. Have you had those moments? No, I, I'm sure all of us have. How do you handle them? How do you endure them? Several things I want to leave you with, number one. S- live a surrendered life. Jesus gives us the example of being a man of surrender. Live a surrendered life. I'm not talking about a weak, you know, uh, flimsy, powerless person that gives in to everything. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about one who surrenders to God the Father. Live a surrendered life. In other words, when you're trying to decide what to do on this or that, uh, and how to live your life, and how to proceed doing different things. Let the Lord choose what it is that you're supposed to do. Let Him help you decide. You know those WWJD bracelets, what does that stand for? 
I mean, we got cliched it. We cliched it out of existence because it was just so everyone was wearing them. But boy, was that a great slogan because that's the idea of surrender whenever you're experiencing uh, garden moments and you're in a moment of agony and suffering and you're wondering how to handle this. Let the Lord choose how you're to handle it. Depend on him and say to, to say to God, say to the Lord the same thing that Jesus said to the Lord when he was in that moment. God, I don't want this anymore, but what? Not my will, but yours be done. There's power there, folks. You've heard it a million times, but like I said, see it with new eyes today. There's power there. To be able to say to God, not my will, but yours be done, whenever you're able to release. And I promise y'all, I'm not going to keep using illustrations about my dad, but it's all so fresh, and it just it gives me, the, uh, it gives me a great way to illustrate this. And I, whenever we were sitting in the hospital and, and the moments were, were coming, and he, we, it was becoming clear that he may not make it, I felt this dread just deep dread, and I hated it. And I, I remember thinking, surely, God, you're not going to allow this. I don't want this. Don't let this happen. And those prayers were agonizing. But when it became clear what was, what was happening, this peace came over me that came from God, because when you begin to accept the will of God, it sets you free from the struggle and from the agonizing you have in your life. Accept God's will. Surrender to what he has planned for your life. And it sets you free from the agony in, in many ways. That's number one. Boy, I'm running out of time. Number two, give it all to God. Give it all to God. Not just part of it. Not just the part that you want to be churchy or that you want the Christian people to see. All of you. Give it all to God. Everything that you do, you know, it's not just around here. It's not just in a context where you're at a potluck or a worship time, but, but reflect your life with God in a, on a basketball court or in your job, at the co-op, etc. Give it all to God. Number three, remember your purpose. How does Jesus get through the difficult times in the garden? How does he keep marching on through even though people are starting to persecute him, even though people are trying to antagonize him, even though Satan is trying to derail him, even though he knows he's marching toward his ultimate death? How does he keep going that direction? Because he remembers his purpose. A lot of times, discipleship is difficult. And it begins, I mean, it, it's hard when we lose sight of why, why we're here, what our purpose is. Remember our purpose. Paul says in Ephesians 2, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Remember your purpose. Number four, let go of your sword. Let go of your sword. And you think, what are you talking about? Let go of your sword. I'm going to close this with a story. Uh, I want to close this with a story that kind of will 
uh, hopefully help us take this home with us, and then we'll have a, a song of invitation. But back in uh, 1974, the last World War II Japanese soldier surrendered. 1974. His name was, wish me luck here, Hiroo Onada. That was his name. He'd been left on the island of Lubang in the Philippines on December 25, 1944. He was commanded to carry on the mission even if, Jap- if Japan surrendered. Other Japanese soldiers had left the island, so they learned, hey, we've surrendered, the war's over. But the ones that were still on that island had no clue that the war was over, so they kept struggling, they kept fighting. One of the soldiers finally surrendered in 1950. Another one was killed in a local skirmish in 54. Another one was killed in 72. And this guy named Onada, he just continued, even though the, you know, the war was over, he continued fighting the war alone. And he, he, people kept trying to convince him to stop, to surrender. And he kept ignoring the loudspeaker messages. Japan has surrendered. The war is over. He would ignore them. He, would, he refused to believe that Japan would have surrendered. And over the years, he would raid local villages. He was responsible for killing over 30 nationals during that time. Uh, it was his own personal war. Uh, it's, it says almost half a million dollars was spent trying to locate and convince him to surrender. 13,000 men were used to try to locate him. Finally, on March 10, 1974, almost 30 years after World War II ended, Onada surrendered his rusty sword after receiving a personal command from his former officer who read the terms of the ceasefire order. He handed his sword over to President Marcos, who pardoned him. The war was over. Onada was 22 when he left on the island. He returned to a prematurely aged man of 52, Onada stated, nothing pleasant happened in those 29 years in the jungle. Like Onada, many people are fighting a lonely battle against the God who is offering reconciliation and peace. That's why I say that we need to hand over our sword. We need to give in to God's plans and God's will for our life. It may be difficult uh, we, we have plans, we have desires. It may be challenging, but Jesus, on his journey to the cross, gives us the, the model. He gives us the example of what it looks like to say, I don't want this, but not my will be done, yours be done. There's the key right there.